Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This sermon is from our epic retreat, and in our first session, Matt Densky talks about God's breath giving us life. We look at Exodus 3.14 and Genesis 2.7, learning about God breathing life into Adam in the formal name of God, Yahweh. Matt challenges us to consider what we need to breathe in in life and what we need to breathe out. We hope you enjoy this message. I want us to do something together tonight. We're going to start tonight off a little bit differently. I want us to bring it in. I want us to focus up. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to like, maybe straighten yourself up in your chair, posture up if you need to. Yeah, that's good. Ooh, nice. Thoracic spine's just got nice and in line. Here we go. Posture up. I want us to start something different tonight. We're going to start a little bit differently. I want you to close your eyes. Just calm yourself. Center your mind. I know it's a little weird. Close your eyes. And when I tell you to, I'm going to say one, two, three. I want you to take a deep breath in, and then I'm going to let you know when to exhale. Don't do it. Yeah, I'll say. All right, ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Breathe in. Hold it. Breathe out. No, no, stay with me. Stay with me. Eyes closed. Center yourself. Calm, calm, calm. Clear your headspace. Breathe in. Breathe out. That's good. Y'all are doing good. Here we go. Let's keep it going. Breathe in. Breathe out. A couple more. Focus up. Focus up. Someone's in the back gagging. Like, just focus up for a second. Focus up. Deep breath in. Here we go. Breathe out. All right, a couple more. Here we go. Breathe in. God, you're good. We love you. Breathe out. Hold on. Focus. Calm, calm, calm. Breathe in. Spirit, you're good. Breathe out. We love you. One more. Breathe in. Jesus, we love you. Breathe out. I don't know what that is. It's like a snake over here breathing, man. Sounds like, Luc- Sounds like Lucifer doing breathing exercises over here. All right. Now, wasn't that calming? Wasn't that nice? Wasn't that nice? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing to just stop and, and change your breathing for a second? Does wonders. My son, I have two sons. My oldest son is about to turn four. Yeah. Who is that? Who is that clapping? Team Red, give 10,000 points to Red, please. 10,000 points to Red. (laughs) You love on my son, you get points. Okay. All right, all right. So he's about to turn four, and he's learning how to, you know, figure out his emotions. And one of the things we're trying to help understand is you know, there are appropriate times to cry. Like, I'm not one of these guys that's like, men don't cry. Like, we're trying to help them understand, no, buddy, there are times to cry when you're hurt or scared or sad. Like, those are fine. But there are other times when it's not okay to cry. It's, it's, it's not needed. It's being dramatic. We don't say dramatic. But it's just, it's not needed in that moment. And so sometimes he, he cries, and it's one of those times when it's just like, buddy, like, this is not a crying time, bud. And um, the other night, we have a nightly routine together. Every single night, we, um, after uh, he takes his bath, we go downstairs. We get a little colorful treat. It's like an M&M or a Tic Tac, whatever. He, <laughs> I don't know. He, it's like a, those orange Tic Tacs, not the minty ones. But he calls mint cement. He's so cute. He's like, mmm, cementy. Um, <laughs> stop. <laughs> stop. 
y'all are too funny. All right, 10,000 more points to red, please. I, I just... Heart strings right now, heart strings. Okay, so we go down, we get a colorful treat, we read a book together, um, we drink, he drinks his milk, and we head upstairs, we brush his teeth, and then he goes potty, and then we go to the bed, and we pray, and, um, and that's our nightly routine. Well, this is what we do every single night, and the other night, we were doing this, and I, we finished brushing his teeth, and I set him on the potty, and it's just full-on meltdown. Daddy, I didn't want a potty tonight. It's like, buddy, I... I didn't know this is what we do, and and um, and I was like, buddy, just it's okay. This is not a crying time right now. This is not a crying. But daddy, so what we do is um, we count to ten. I found it helpful to just get his mind on on something. We count to ten, and then we do what we call make wind. I used to tell him take deep breaths, and it didn't make sense to him. So now we make wind, and. Man, I did kind of set that up. I did kind of set that up. Uh, so we make wind. And what we do there is he takes a deep breath in, and then we, or we take a deep breath in, and then we blow in each other's faces. <sighs> we try to make wind. Because just telling him, hey, buddy, take a few deep breaths. It just doesn't work. But to make wind, it's fun. He's like blowing my hair, and, he, he, and then it gets him laughing. So we make wind. Isn't it amazing what a few deep breaths can do for your, for your attitude? For your, for your mindset, for your heart in that moment. It just recenters you, it postures you to, to make wind, to just center yourself. Breath is, is an amazing thing. The, the, the average person on a, on a given day takes about 23,000 breaths in one day. 23,000 of what we just did. 23,000. That's over 8 million in a year. 8 million breaths a year. In fact, experts think that over 90% of your energy is not linked to what you eat, it's not linked to exercise, it's linked to your breathing rhythms. Can you believe that? That your stamina throughout the day, your energy, your focus is actually, breathed to how, is actually linked to how you're managing your breath. That's okay. It's a ladybug. Dude. <laughs> no joke, no joke, because, uh, you know, we're recording these messages, so not everyone who's listening right now is going to understand. A, a bug flew on me. It happens to be a ladybugs, a ladybug. Ladybugs are red, and maybe... Maybe that is a sign from God. Why don't we just give red 50,000 points? I don't know, man. Now get out of here. All right. <laughs> Guys, come on, let's focus. It is near impossible to stay within my time constraints at Epic. I just want you to know. All right, so, so over 90% of our energy comes from how we breathe. That's an amazing thing. Like when you think about that. Breath is this amazing, amazing gift that we have, but we do it so often we kind of forget about it. And there's a principle of life, if, if you're familiar enough with something, you, you grow bored with it, or you have the tendency to grow bored with it. This happens in marriages, it happens in relationships, it happens with Fortnite, it happens with Jesus. Something that you get very, very familiar with, you have a tendency to become bored with. And breath is this, breath is this amazing, amazing thing. Eight million times a year, 23,000 times a day, and 
We take it for granted. We lose the sense of awe we have about breathing. But if you ever intentionally stop for one minute or two minutes, your world is in a panic. You have this knot in your belly. There's like black circles closing on your eyes. You're starting to see dots. Your face is turning purple. It feels like you're choking. If you're ever holding your breath intentionally, you're stopping the rhythms of breathing. Your body says, dude, what are you? Stop, stop, stop. Everything is fighting to <gasps> breathe again. And that first breath calms it all down. Breath is this amazing thing, and we've kind of forgotten how amazing it is because we do it 23,000 times a day. It doesn't seem that amazing to us. Now, in just a second, don't put it up yet, guys. In just a second, I'm going to show a photo. <laughs> so, spoiler alert, um, I'll tell you when to show it because I, I don't want to, like, um, <laughs> just blast people with it. But two years ago, some of you know, I had an infection in my arm. Don't throw this photo up, please. I had an infection in my arm. I let it go. Actually, that's not true. I got a box cutter and tried to take care of it myself. And it got worse. So then I tried again. And it got even worse. I know. What are you, you going to do? All right. So I had this infection in my arm that ended up getting in my bloodstream. And I'm about to, I'm about to take away points for interrupting my story. You too, Blue. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. So I had this infection. It got in my bloodstream, and that's, that's what's known as septic. And so literally your body is pumping toxin through your entire blood system. And so my kidneys shut down. My potassium levels went through the roof. I was like on death's door. My heart wasn't doing well. I had to go to the ER, and they took a scalpel and just like cut my arm open and drained some stuff. It was awesome. So if you have a weak stomach... You might want to just, I don't know, I find it gross, and it was me, you know what I mean? Like, you might just want to close your eyes. I'm going to count it down. Spoiler alert, it's nasty. If you want to see it, it's going to be up on the screen just for a second. So here we go. One, two, three. Here's me in the hospital. That's, I can't look at that. That's disgusting to me. But um, my, all right, you can take that off. That's so nasty. <laughs> my, uh. My arm was swollen up to the size of my calf. Like, it looked like I had, like, a club for an arm. Like, it was just walking around. And part of the infection in my body, actually, um, my, my fever spiked, and it started uh, forcing me to convulse violently. Like, I just couldn't, I couldn't stop shivering. And I ended up pulling all the muscles behind this ribcage. And what that led to is I couldn't inflate this lung. Like, it was too painful to inflate this lung. And so I knew I needed to go to the ER when, um, like, I, <laughs> my wife came in the, in the room, and I was like, babe, I can't, I can't, I breathe. Like, I couldn't get this lung inflated. It was a terrifying feeling. So we went to the ER, and they're like, yeah, dude, <laughs> your body's shutting down. I was like, oh, well, that explains why my organs aren't working either. And so basically, while I was in the hospital, you know, they got me better, and um, I had to train my lung on how to inflate again, but it was so painful. I just couldn't inflate it. And so they gave me this thing. It's like this tube that has a little ball in it and there's like 10 levels and you put it in your mouth and you inhale, like you try to inflate your diaphragm and you're supposed to get the ball up to level 10. I was able to get it up to level one. It was terrible. Like I couldn't breathe. And even after I got out of the hospital, I, I kept having to train at this. It, it wasn't for another year that I was able to breathe without any pain. It took a whole year for that pain to go away. And all the while, I'm like having to retrain that lung on, on how to inflate. 
So 23,000 times a day, I was feeling this, this sharp pain every single time. Breath is this amazing thing. We forget how amazing it is and how it affects us when we're not able to do it normally, when the rhythms are knocked off. Even hiccups. I hate hiccups. Even when we get hiccups and you're not able to, like, breathe right, it's so annoying. We forget, like, how we need the rhythms of breathing. In the Old Testament, there's this story of a guy named Moses. He's a shepherd at this time in his life. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you want. We have it up on the screens. Moses is a shepherd at this point in his life. He's around 80 years old, and around the age of 40 years old, he murdered a man and fleed. He ran away from his problems. He didn't take responsibility for his actions. He murdered someone and fleed into the desert, into this area known as Midian. And this is where he's been living, and he's married since then, and he's become a shepherd since then. And, and, uh, and one day Moses is with his flock of sheep, and, and he's out in this certain area of the desert, and he sees something, he encounters something that he's never encountered before. This is where we're going to pick up Tonight, Exodus chapter 3, we're going to read, starting in, in verse 1 here, is what the scriptures say. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. That phrasing of Moses always cracks me up. I don't know why. I just imagine this dude who's like, I'll turn, I'll turn aside to see this great sight. Like, just this, okay, I'll just we'll go over here. I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. And then he said, don't come near, don't come any closer. Take your sandals off your feet for the place which you are standing is holy ground. He said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. So here's the scenario. This is a really captivating passage of scripture. Moses is a shepherd. He's been a shepherd for 40 years after he murdered someone and fleed to the desert. He's a fugitive. He's an outlaw. He's on the run. Egypt wants his head. There's, you know, they're looking for him. He, he murdered an Egyptian. And so he's kind of been living in secret and hiding for the past 40 years or so. And one day he's doing his thing. He's, a, he's doing a shepherd thing. And he's leading his sheep to the west side of the wilderness. And he comes to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. And all of a sudden, he notices off to his peripheral, there's something on fire. I, I dare say that would catch your attention as well, right? Like, I'll go over and see this. Like, most of us would have that reaction. So there's something on fire, and as he looks, he notices, oh, wait a minute. That bush is on fire. There are flames surrounding this bush, but it's not being consumed. And this is going against, you know, logic and the laws of science and, and nature. Here's this organic material, this, this consumable material, wood and leaves, and there are, there's fire surrounding it and coming out of it and engulfing it, and yet it's not being burned up. And so this piques his curiosity. Like, it, 
probably would ours. And so Moses, seeing this sight, decides, I'm going to go over and check this out. And as he steps over towards the bush, God noticing, what does the scripture say? God noticing, can we go back a slide, guys, to the previous verses here? God noticing that Moses was coming over, then spoke to him. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him from the bush. Now, this is really, really interesting to me. And I've been like marinating in this passage for, for a while and chewing on this and, and really trying to understand what God is doing in, in the life of this 80-year-old man who's been an outlaw for 40 years now, who's been a shepherd for 40 years. God gives Moses this strange sight to behold that doesn't really make sense logically. And Moses decides to go investigate. And it's then, and only then, look at the sequence of the order that God calls out to him. I wonder what would have happened if Moses looked at the bush on fire and decided, I'm not going to go check out whatever this is. Would God have still called out? Look at verse 4. When God saw that he turned aside to see, he called out to him from the bush. And as I was chewing on this, I thought, man, what an interesting comment. What an interesting idea. And, and I started thinking, like, I, I, I've been in student ministry a long time. How many conversations I've had with student after student after student or college students who, you know, have now graduated high school and are in college or young adults who have graduated college now. I keep having conversations where man, I'm just struggling in my faith. You know, I'm desiring something. And ultimately, it boils down to this idea. I just wish God would reveal himself in a way that would somehow, you know, guarantee my faith or give me certainty or you know, sometimes we use the language of a sign. I just wish God would give me like a sign, man. Like if he gave me a burning bush, whoo, I would know, I would know, and I would never question again. And it's so interesting to me because the way that God works in our lives, man, I would offer to you guys, he's constantly giving you breadcrumbs, these little, these little notions to look at to say, wow, that's God. In fact, I would say 23,000 times a day. He's giving you some sense of, hey, there's something. You have a life, and there's someone giving you that life. Every time you hear a breath, it's a reminder that we've been given this life. And I just wonder how many of us have burning bushes to our right and to our left. They're in our peripheral, and we just walk right past them. We're completely oblivious to the things that God is doing in our life. And I think for some of us, a burning bush can take the form of someone coming along and speaking truth in your life in a way that maybe you don't prefer to hear in that moment, but it's a way that you need to hear in that moment. And it sets you at a crossroads of how to respond. Sometimes there are people in our lives that are saying things or doing things, and those are acting as burning bushes, and we walk right past them because we don't think that God is at work in that person. Our ego, our pride takes over. Or maybe God is grabbing your attention through circumstances or something like that. You're going through a hard time in life. A lot of us view pain as a negative thing. I was just talking to these guys down here just tonight, and we were talking about how in our faith, pain is actually the pathway to peace. It brings us closer to Jesus. We depend on him more, our brokenness. We are made strong through his grace in those times. But a lot of us view pain as this negative thing. But what if pain is a burning bush, and we walk right past it because we don't have the eyes to see or to go investigate? It wasn't until Moses 
moved towards the bush that God spoke to him. And I think for a lot of us, we're like, man, where is God? He's not speaking. I don't hear him. I don't feel him in my heart. My emotions aren't triggered by this thing. And I would maybe suggest perhaps you're not moving towards him. That there are times God speaks to us when and only when we come to investigate what he's doing in our life. Moses moved towards the bush and God called out to him. By name, Moses. Moses says, here I am. I'd be kind of alarmed at this point, too. This bush is on here. Uh, here, here I <laughs> Can you imagine Moses telling this story to people? So there I was. I had my sheep. <laughs> and this bush was on fire. And then... He started talking to me, you know, like the bush is burning and talking. Moses says, here I am. The bush says, don't come any closer. Take off your shoes. The place where you're standing is holy ground. This is an interesting thought. I mean, Moses has been a shepherd now for 40 years. I wonder, I have to think on some level, I have to imagine he's been to the west side of the wilderness before. Like, I don't think this is some new excursion for Moses. Like, all right, well, 40 years, I've only stayed here on the east side. I tell you what, today I'm going to go to the west side. He's probably been in this area before. Typically, shepherds have a, a route that they take their sheep, different pastures on different days and waiting on grass to grow. And certain. So he's probably been here before. So all of a sudden, God says, wait, 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 Moses, now it's holy ground. Don't come any closer. I don't, I don't, I just wonder, I don't know if in that moment, all of a sudden, this place that Moses was familiar with instantly became holy because God was doing some miraculous work. Instead, I, I think maybe God was actually making Moses aware of a reality that's been a constant reality in his life. The presence of God is a holy place. Here's what I mean. You know, I hear this all the time, like something will happen in church, dare I say it, one of you says a bad word. <laughs> Someone says a bad word in church, and I hear this all the time. Someone goes, dude, don't say that. You're in church. You're in this building. What makes this building any more holy than two steps out of the door of this building? Is God not also present there? Hey, man, wait till you get out of the building to cuss, because that's when God doesn't care. What? what that doesn't even make sense. Growing up, you know what I heard all the time? Like, don't you gum in church? That offends God, Really? The creator of the universe minds it when I choose something in his holy place. Man, don't wear hats in church. Okay. But you can do it outside. Okay. Like, we have these rules of when it's holy and when it's not holy. If God's presence is everywhere, is every place not just as holy? Once we recognize where God is and how he's moving. In fact, that's what I think God is doing with Moses. You don't think he's been to the west side of the wilderness before? But again, remember, familiarity breeds boredom, right? Maybe he had just gotten so used to this area that he's forgotten about this God of his fathers. And maybe God is bringing him back to this idea. Dude, bro, it's me. I'm here. I've always been here. Let me remind you of that fact. This is holy. And we're about to have this dialogue. And I, and I just want you to know what's about to happen. I'm setting the stage. Let me draw your attention. But God, God's holiness is everywhere. God's presence is everywhere. I think God is drawing Moses' attention to a reality that's taking place, not setting up this circumstantial, like, only in certain places is it more holy than others. I, I, I think sometimes we apply that theology and, and get kind of off and, and treat a building as, as more holy than, 
than our home, for instance. So God says, hey, this is a holy place. Take your shoes off. Moses comes near, and God kind of tells him who he is. I'm the God of your fathers. I know you've been a shepherd for 40 years. I know 40 years before that you were raised by the Egyptians because of the evil Pharaoh was murdering babies and feeding them to the crocodiles. But I'm the God of your fathers. I'm, I'm the God of your ancestors, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when Moses hears this, he hides his face. So God basically, I'm going to paraphrase a few verses here. God says, listen, I've heard the cries of my people. They're enslaved by Pharaoh. He's an evil man. He's a wicked man. I desire to free my people. And Moses, you're the guy. I want you to be the deliverer of my people. Look at, jump down to verse 11. I love Moses. He's honest. He's like, uh, dude, no. <laughs> like, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Egypt or Israel out of Egypt? God, who am I? You got the wrong guy. You ever make excuses with God? You ever try to like reason with God? No, 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 it's not me. It, it, surely you, you must mean Mose, like the, the guy with a silent S on his name. It's not me. I'm Moses. It's not me. Who am I? I'm no one, God. He has excuses. You ever have excuses with God? Maybe you've never gotten that far because you ignore the burning bushes and you didn't even engage in the dialogue. But Moses says, no, you've got the wrong guy. He says, man, I'm, I'm no one. God says, no, I'll be with you, and this is going to be a sign that I've sent you when, when you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So this is actually the mountain God calls Moses back to. This is where he later receives the Ten Commandments, kind of a cool full circle thing. And then Moses um, says to God again, look, if, if, another excuse, right? If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, look, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, well, what's his name, Moses? Because for 40 years you were raised by Egyptians. The other 40 years, we don't know where you've been. You've been on the run. How do you know who the God of our fathers is? They're going to want to kind of test me. They're going to ask me, what's his name? So God, what should I tell them? Verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. Oh, <laughs> Oh, okay. God says, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now, I don't know if you know anything about grammar, but a first person descriptive is not a good introduction. Guys, imagine meeting the girl of your dreams. Oh my gosh. She's just so amazing. She's nice whistle, I guess. She's got a a heart for Jesus, she's beautiful, she's all that in a bag of chips, just like my wife. And you go over to her, and you're like, you're like, uh, hey, I am. I, I am, I, I am. She's like, what? No, me, like, that's me. It's like caveman talk, me, I am. <laughs> no, like, what, who, who are you? No, I am. Like, can you, this is almost like the, the Abbott and Costello routine, like, who's on first? Can you imagine Moses going to the people of Israel? All right, so, uh, hey, who sent you? Well, I am. You are what? No, that's who, that's who has sent me. Who did? I am. You are what? No, 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 it's not me, it's, it's I am. Like, I'm talking about him. Him who? I am. What are you, Moses, bro, like, I know you saw a burning bush, but are you burning the bush? You know what I mean? Like, dude, what are you talking about? You're not making sense. No, I am has sent me to you. Who? I am. You? No, him. Who? I am. Like, can you just imagine this routine going on? It's this amazing name, God says. Just tell him I am has sent you. I, I just want to see this unfold when Moses is like scratching his head, going to the people, ah, I am has said you're free. Like, <laughs> it's just so bizarre. So God reinforces this in verse 15. He says, um, Moses, say this to the people of Israel as well. The Lord 
The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is how I'm going to be remembered throughout all the generations. Now, you'll notice in, the, in your Bibles there and on the screen, it says, oh, it's not on the screen. Oh, guys, man, that's my bad, I guess. Uh, it should be all caps. In your Bible, it's all caps, right? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Verse 15, you guys got that? Okay. Anytime in the scriptures you come across capital L-O-R-D, Lord, that is an English translation of a Hebrew word. This is God's name. Like God has many titles throughout scripture, but this is God declaring his formal name. Like if God had a name tag, it would be this right here. Anytime you come across capital L-O-R-D, it's this word right here. It's this Hebrew word, Y-H-W-H. You guys ever heard this before? Yeah? Now sometimes, if you'll notice, Y-H-W-H is consonants, has no vowels. It's actually impossible to pronounce. In fact, for thousands of years, uh, followers of, of God didn't say it out loud. They thought it was too holy to say. They didn't write it. They thought it was too holy to write. And furthermore, they didn't know how to say it because truly it's unpronounceable. These are consonants. They don't line up. Like it doesn't make a word. So in the English, we kind of cheat this. We insert two vowels in, an A after the Y and an E after the W, and we pronounce it Yahweh. You guys heard this before? The name of God. This is his formal name, Yahweh. But, but this is with the addition of the vowels. This is not how God has introduced himself to Moses. This is kind of a cheat sheet. Here's how to pronounce it. But if you go back to the other one, the Y-H-W-H, just focus on this one uh, for a second. Yahweh has no vowels. If you dig into the Hebrews, you, you study the original writings here. The Bible is not written in English, by the way. Old Testament is written in Hebrew. You look at this, and it's Y-H-W-H, no, no vowels. So it's actually, you can't pronounce it. It doesn't make sense to pronounce. But what if that, that's kind of what God is doing with Moses? If, if I am wasn't confusing enough, who should I say has sent me? Tell him I am has sent you. Okay. This one's even more confusing. Verse 15, God, God says, Moses, this is my name. This is how I'm going to be remembered forever, Yahweh. But... But let's actually pronounce it the correct way. Not with the vowels, the A and the E. This is how God's name is actually pronounced. Yahweh. Let's all do it together. One, two, three. Yahweh. You can't, it's not a normal name. You don't pronounce it. Y-H-W-H. Rabbis didn't know what to do with this because it's, it's, there's nothing there to hold the, the sounds together. Yahweh. Like it, Yahweh. Like, it's just nothing. But what if that's what God is showing to Moses in this moment? And what if that is God, what if that's what God is showing to us? So let's just slow down our pronunciation for a minute. Yahweh. You guys hearing it yet? Let's slow it down even more. Ready? Yahweh. You guys hear it yet? Let me, let me, let me do it. I'm going to add some um, body language to it. Ready? <laughs> what if the, the formal name of God is not something to be said, it's something to be heard? The name of God is, is not an, a name as we think of it. It's a sound to be heard. God tells Moses... 
I'm going to tell you my formal name. I'm going to introduce you to my true name. And it's Yahweh. People didn't know what to do with that. So they added vowels. Yeah, Yahweh. No, no, no. It's The name of God is a sound, and it sounds like breathing. 23,000 times a day, you and I are hearing the very name of God. We're surrounded by it all the time. You're looking for a burning bush? Eight million times a year, God is allowing you to hear his name. He's always revealing himself, always giving you something about himself. Are you investigating it? The name of God is a sound to be heard, not a name to be pronounced. When I was in high school, I had um, <laughs> this college intern was serving in our student ministry. And one night, um, a pretty late at night, like 11 p.m., maybe close to midnight, there was this knock on the door. And we open the door, and it's that college intern. His name is Adam, and he's with another guy named Nathan. He's, he's the older brother of a guy in the high school. And they're there, and I didn't know why they were there so late. And the next thing I knew, this bag comes over my head, and I get yanked out of my home. And, uh, and my mom's standing here. Like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, surely if Debbie's okay with this. Like, someone signed off. Sweet Deborah. So I'm, like, thrown into the back of an SUV, and I hear, like, um, giggles and, and chattering, and I know there are other students in this SUV. I have no idea what's going on, but I trust these guys uh, to kidnap me, I guess. Kind of sounds weird. And, and so we drive around in this SUV, and after, you know, 15, 20 minutes, it stops. It comes to this stop, and we get out, and the masks are taken off of us, and we're just like on this back country road in the middle of nowhere. Now listen, I'm about to tell you a story, and it is foolish and ridiculous, and guys, it was me as a high school student, man, that's all I can say, like I have grace, but I need you to like pinky promise covenant swear with me that you're not going to do what I'm about to tell you I did. Like I can't endorse this behavior, just because I did it doesn't mean I, I would want you to do it. Uh, this is actually a very, very dumb thing, um, silly and embarrassing at the same time. So please don't do this, okay? Hear me out. So we're on this backcountry road, and they line us up along <laughs> the side of the road, and they're like, hold out your hands. So we hold out our hands, and they place within our hands the nastiest, cheapest, two-for-a-dollar pies that you can buy from a gas station. They come in like that white, waxy wrapper. Some people love them, but they're disgusting. I'm fairly confident they're made of recycled plastic themselves. And so they come in two flavors, uh, apple and cherry, <laughs> Not real cherries, I'm sure, but they come in these two flavors. It's more like red filling that just goops everywhere. And so, hold out your hands. So they gave us these pies. And they explain the rules of the game to us. They explain what's about to go down. And they, te they tell us, you can pick any place on the road. It's completely up to you. Now, mind you, this is by now, it's like 12.30, 1 a.m. Uh, we've been blindfolded. We're now unblindfolded. We've just received pies, and we're being explained what to do with said pies. If, if you can imagine the scenario, it's all very confusing and exciting at the same time. And so they're pointing out to us, you can choose anywhere on the road. You set your pie down. You choose the best place you think that your pie has the highest probability of getting smushed by a car. And so you choose your place and you set your pie down and then you all go hide in the bushes and just wait. And once a car comes along, which at 1230 or one, there's not much traffic in East Tennessee in the back roads, but there's a few. So once a car comes along, as it drives along, when it runs over your pie, it makes a distinct noise. It goes blat. 
And therefore, this event is called blatting. Okay, that's what the name of this is, blatting. It's a sacred thing. You can probably find it on the internet somewhere. I don't encourage it. But when the car comes, the rules are, once a car runs over your pie, blat, then you are allowed in that moment to run out to the road, get on your knees, hands behind your back, and you have to consume the entire pie. When it is, when it is licked clean, like when there's nothing left, if your pie is the first one to have that happen, you are the winner. It's a race. <laughs> oh, let's do it tonight. I just see JJ, Team Blue Blatting. So, so you're also allowed to move your pie. So when the cars come and, and they, <laughs> they'd hit multiple pies, so it'd be like, blah, 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 blah. But if your pie didn't get hit, you're allowed to go move it and wait on another car. And so if you can imagine a ton of dumb teenage dudes have set their pies on this asphalt gravel road, and we're all in the bushes like, oh, do you think a car's coming to you? I don't know, man. And a car comes, runs over your pie. Oh, they got my pie. And so you run out, get on your knees. Five of the dudes get on their knees. The other, you know, five, six are just waiting in the bushes. Their pie didn't get hit. And so you have, like, dudes on their knees with their hands behind their back, like, like trying to get it off. It's like a scene from The Walking Dead if zombies de devoured pies from gas stations. Like we're all out there licking asphalt. You know what I mean? It's just so disgusting, so gross. Roadkill is mixed in. Not really. But it's really, really nasty. So every time we see headlights, though, we dart off into the bushes because, you know, we don't want to get hit. We're idiots, but we're not that dumb. <laughs> and so these cars are coming by, so we'd go hide as they run over our pies and, and blat them. Then we run back out. And so this one car is coming. We all run into the bushes, and we're waiting on it to pass, and we notice it starts slowing down. So we're just hiding. And all of a sudden, this spotlight starts scanning all the bushes. And we're like, dude, like full prostrate on the ground in the grass, like, don't move. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the spotlight <laughs> like. We're actually not hiding behind anything. We're more so just laying on the grass. And so the guy's like, well, there's a lump of body. So he just stops the spotlight, and all of a sudden you see and hear, whoop, whoop, whoop. Like uh, the blue lights just start going, and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is how it ends. <laughs> Blatting. It's a life sentence. You didn't know that, but it's dangerous stuff. And so, dude, like, we're freaking out. Like, adrenaline's pumped through our veins. And actually, a second guy came, which I don't know why he would have had to call backup for blatting. I don't know. I guess he's run into some dangerous bladders in the past. So the second car comes, and I'm, like, panicking, and I go into, like, I got this mode. And so I, like, throw my hands up, and I stand up, and I'm like, officer, we're just blatting. He's like, stand down. I'm like, get out. I'm like, okay, man. Like, Dude, it was one of the worst experiences that we've ever had. I almost went to jail for blatting an apple pie. Do you know, do you know, like, that's not something you put on your resume. You know what I mean? Oh, I see here you blatted an apple pie. Now, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Don't worry about it. Blatting is named after the sound. It's an onomatopoeia, right? Yeah, like that. The name of God is a sound. It represents something more than a name. It represents a sound, an activity. The name of God, it's not just a name, it's, it's a sound. It's breathing. We're going to jump over real quick, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. This is the creation account. God is creating man and woman. Verse 7 says, 
Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God has made us, man and woman, from dirt, from dust. Well, made man and then woman from his rib, right? But he, he made us from dust. The Hebrew word for dirt is Adama. The first man was named Adam. We pronounce it Adam because we're Americans. We don't really understand Hebrew, but it's Adam, named after Adama. Literally, Adam's name translates to dirt man. Like, he is the, <laughs> he's the dirt man because he's made from dirt, and God is symbolizing in this, in this creation process that, that men and women are, are fragile and delicate and we are made of dust. Like we are so prone to suffering and hurt and pain. But look at the order of what's happening. God formed the man of dust from the ground. So he's formed. It's like Adam is here and formed, almost like a mannequin. But he's lifeless. It's a shell. It's hollow until God breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became, in that moment, a living creature. Adam's body was just a body, absent of breath. The first inhale of man was the exhale of God. God's very life-giving breath, his very name, has been put into men and women. The name of God is the breath of God, and the breath of God is the life of man. It's so crucial that you get this. In, in, in the Old Testament, there are three words, spirit, wind, and, and, and breath. And all three of these words have the same Hebrew word. They're different in English, but they're the same Hebrew word. And it's the Hebrew word, ruah. Say that with me. Ruah. Kind of fun. And it means spirit, wind, and breath. They're all synonymous. They all play with each other in the Old Testament. The name of God is the Ruah of God, and the Ruah of God is the life of man. The breath of God is the spirit, the Ruah, the wind of God that blows within our hearts and gives us life. The name of God is breathing, and the, the breath of God is life. And God has put that very life into the hearts and bodies of every man and woman on this planet. 23,000 times a day, 8 million times a year, you are surrounded by the name of God and the life of God, revealing himself to all of us and sustaining our very selves. We are lifeless apart from ruah. If we don't have ruah, we have nothing. And God says, I have put my spirit within you, my breath, my life, my wind is in you. And so tonight, this is, this is really kind of a, a setup sermon for the rest of the week, weekend. It sets up everything we're going to be talking about, that the, the breath of God is the life of man, that God has put ruah in us. His spirit, his breath, his wind is blowing in all these places and so I would ask you, tonight, what do you need to breathe in? What do you need to breathe out? In other words, for, for some of us, we are like Moses. It's like, dude, we are making every excuse in the book to not be used by God. I don't want, I, dude, I'm so scared to ask what God really has for my life. I'm so scared to ask for my purpose because what if God actually answers and then I have to sacrifice my American comforts and dreams? What if he calls me to a place with no Wi-Fi? 
I'm not able to continue my Snapchat streak. <laughs> Gosh. What do you need to breathe in tonight? In other words, here's what I mean. Do you need to breathe in? God, your word declares my worth and my value. You're, you give me my purpose. And do you need to breathe out? God, help me rebuke lies and fear and cowardice. Breathe in. Help me be courageous through your spirit, through your breath, through your life. Breathe out. Help me not run from you or make excuses. What do you need to breathe in tonight? Truth of ruah, of spirit, of life. And what do you need to breathe out? Things that you need to purge out of your body or mind, lies that you've come to believe. For a lot of you, it may not be like purpose. It may be image, worth. Man, there's so many of you look in the room and, and look in the mirror and you just do not like who you see. Man, if I could just change this, if I had those different eyebrows, if I had a different hair color, if I had more volume, if I just had... Maybe you need to breathe in. God, you declare me beautiful. You give me worth through your son. In the eyes of you, I was worthy of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And breathe out. Help me not listen to the lies of culture and the expectation of culture. That is not what the definition of beauty is. God, please help me remind myself of truth so that I'm not swept up in the cultural pressures to look this way, act this way, be this way, but that my worth and my beauty is ultimately found in you. And that's where I receive my dignity in this life. Breathe out. Help me not believe the lies of the enemy in my ear. What do you need to breathe in and what do you need to breathe out? Maybe you're sitting in here tonight and you struggle with worry, anxiety, depression, loneliness, isolation, suicide. Maybe you need to breathe in. God, 23,000 times a day, you remind me of your name and your life that you've given me. And breathe out. God, I'm scared. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means to trust in you fully or submit to you, but I want to know, could you help me? And breathe in. God, you're good. You've always shown yourself to be good. I may not get all of you. I'm, I may still have questions, but God, you're, you're good and, and you love me. Breathe out. God, I just don't know. I have so many doubts. I don't know what to do with them all. Help me. Please help me. Tonight, what life do you need to breathe in? Where do you need to breathe in life and truth and spirit and wind and ruah tonight? And where do you need to breathe out death and decay and lies and corrosion of your soul and spirit? What needs to come out of you and what needs to, to get in you tonight? God has breathed into every single one of us. Our inhale is his exhale and it's life-giving. And every day we're surrounded by the name of God. We have life through the life-giver. What do you need to breathe in? What do you need to breathe out? Let's pray. Father, we love you, and you are the life giver, the breath of God is the life of man. Jesus, we pray that you would help us breathe in and breathe out, help us have life.
not looking to other things, not trying to fill the void with different things, but only you, Jesus, we ask.